Hello and welcome to Double A, a podcast by Adam and Alex. It is I, the voice of Alex, and we very eagerly forgot to record a intro, so here we are. I hope you enjoy the podcast. I had to mute my computer. Oh, uh, yeah, sound I didn't want that beeping noises. Yeah, it's I was true. like, that's not. It probably won't pick it up, but still. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. Um, uh, we'll see if we I even keep this in there. So anyway, without further ado, let's so who get, are we talking about today? Let's Alex? Get into it. We are talking about uh, Makoto Yukimura. Finally, it's happening. Which after all this time, you know, I think it it makes a lot of sense. We did that episode about Monster, and we I did. think you know you kind of get into it in that area of manga, and you you don't have to go far to hit on Vinland Saga. It also has the anime coming out right now. Right. When it you say that topical. area of manga, do you mean like kind of seinen comics, like yes, comics for very young much men the adult seinen like corner like stuff of for people in their twenties or so. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, the the the. <laughs> Essentially, the section of comics that uh, you can really tell a lot about a guy or a gal, about a person, uh, depending on how far beyond Berserk they go. Because <laughs> a oh, lot of people just stop at Berserk. Comics? Yeah. I mean, if they read Berserk at all, it's That's like, true. congratulations, That's true. you ventured outside of the shonen sort the of the two inch fence of a. Uh, the yeah. two-inch barrier of Shonen Jump comics. That's I just feel like insane. there's a lot of people out there who, like, for them, Berserk is, like, their favorite Oh, I mean, Berserk thing. is great. And it's great. wrong. I mean, it's messy, but, so but it's very interesting. There. Yeah, so. no, it's certainly true. I mean, I'm just happy when people, like, go deep and start checking out comics outside of their remit, I yeah. suppose. Because, um, I mean, the creator of Berserk does, too. He's famously, he drew on uh, Comics for Girls when he was drawing Berserk, yeah. like, to capture yeah. that kind of uh, drama, so. But, you know, what I will admit is, I feel like, because you had already alluded to this, Adam, it's like right. there's this world of shonen uh, in manga and anime, and then there's so much more out there. And for me, specifically, Makoto Yukimura was probably one of the first big sort of discoveries outside of that sort of immediate bubble and that's actually not that long ago i mean yeah. it would have been like around 2014 or something how old were you at that time 2014 how long had you've you've talked to me about your arc as my like mid-20s. a fan of manga in the past yeah but where was that on that arc i guess so my manga arc is very weird because i had a brief dalliance with manga probably late in high school okay like i that's when know, a lot of people get hit by it they're like yeah, oh I, i'm watching yeah. bleach on youtube or something right oh i hadn't even hit bleach yet Oh, uh, okay. I didn't really like because of my age, like Bleach was more of a college thing. That's when Bleach right. was in full bloom because you're a couple years older than me. Right. Sense. So, uh, I mean, this would have still been like Dragon Ball was like uh, the final season of oh, Dragon Ball Z was was hitting like um, Toonami and stuff. Right. Uh, so Majin Buu and all of that kind of stuff was going down. And then GT was airing. And anyway. Yeah. So that was like kind of where you were in it. So like a lot of that stuff was already available, I think, on maybe DVD and stuff. But like, cause like the fandom had already was aware of a lot of it. But when it was hitting Toonami, I feel yeah. like. So were you uh, reading the comics of Dragon Ball Z as well, or was it just no, the show? No, I it was kind of weird because like I had this very sort of like I don't even remember what it was, but I bought these two volumes of a manga. It was a Tokyo Pop manga. And I, I remember that it was kind of this like Western setting and there's like some mech stuff in there. Oh, yeah. I remember nothing else. It wasn't Trigun, right? It was not Trigun. Okay. Like I'm pretty sure it was not Trigun. Probably if we did some research, we um, could figure out exactly what it was. It had me curious now. Because Trigun wasn't Tokyo Pop. I think it was Dark Horse. You're right. Yeah. So it wouldn't have been that. 
But I do remember it was Tokyo Pop. Weirdly enough, that part stuck with me, but not what the manga was. We should do an episode in the future where we like go into random early comics that we read that we don't remember anymore. And try to figure out what it is. Let's I mean, talk about Demon Diary. No, yeah. Oh my god. Um, but I, I obviously don't have this manga anymore. It right. it sort of was something that I was sort of curious about and, and bought those two volumes. And at some point during college, I was like, you know, I don't care about this anymore. And it, it which is weird because college is when I got more so into anime. It's when mm. I watched so much Naruto, so much Bleach, Death Note. You know, I was just going through like, I, I actually fully watched Fully Cooly, like more so than what I just sort of briefly experienced on Tanami. I watched like the original, like, you know, uh, Japanese version with some English. The English dub of Fully Cooly is a classic it is it is like again and that was my first exposure to it as well but like college was when i actually first like started to go to the source yeah you know in a a lot of ways with anime and so many torrents were downloaded uh it was a this podcast does not condone wild time there you go now you're not going to get into trouble because i made sure to put that little disclaimer in. yeah I don't condone this, but so where does uh, where does Yukimura come up on all this? So is it is it Vinland Saga? Is the first so, one you find? So then college ends. I you know around two thousand nine, um, and then you know after after that I start to get really into Western comics. So there's okay. and I was already into Western comics during college, but I started to explore more indie stuff around like two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve, and as I start going to shows, I start picking up manga as well. And I think yeah. My Hero Academia was critical in all of that because uh, interesting and, and maybe one punch man really got me back into watching anime as well um and then somewhere along the way i start seeing these hardcover volumes of vinland saga hmm. and it, it just kind of got my curiosity because the right. volumes and this is something that's very particular to vinland saga because kadansha made a very conscientious decision to bring vinland saga over in these sort of dual volume uh tomes which are essentially volume one is really volume one and two. Volume two is really volume three and four. It's a bit like this prestige format, right? Yeah. Like they'll have an, uh, interviews of the creator. They'll have a little one shot included and, and that yeah. kind of thing. And in the first few volumes, they serialized another of Makamoto uh, uh, Yukimura's um, uh, like short stories in right. there that I he did I in between Planetas and yeah. Vinland. Um, so it's it's just these really nice volumes uh, so that was an interesting choice because it really set the barrier for entry very high. So initially, mm-hmm. when I was first picking these up, it was through like Otakons or Katsakons where I would go into the dealer room and try to find these like 20% off deals and buy these on like sale. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just like because they look so unique, it stood, up, it stood apart from and it still does like those volumes st- stand apart from everything else. So it was honestly happenstance that I got into Vinland Saga. Um and the rest is history. Did you I, hear I anything it. about it before you went and ch- checked it out? I didn't. I didn't know about Planetas. I read Planetas as a result of Vinland Saga. Because I feel like for a while, at least like the opening pages of Vinland Saga felt like when it came to people in, be, becoming interested in Vinland Saga, it was that opening frame of like the Vikings carrying the boat on their shoulders, right. running across the like the meadows, right? And like this sort of like intense in-your-face action-packed violent beginning right right, of the comic like that first chapter i think is like sort of longer than average um but like that particular aesthetic i think 
sort of was spread around online a lot from what I understand. And that's what pulled a lot of people into it. And I actually honestly didn't even have that much awareness of that at the time. The funny thing is, I think as I was going to these conventions, it might have been even that Kadansha had a table. Oh, really? At one of these. And that might have been part of it. Because I do remember, maybe I went to a panel or something. Because I, I distinctly remember them talking about Vinland Saga, like the, you know, whoever, whatever sales rep they had. And how it was always on the verge of cancellation in the West. Really? Because the sales were so volatile. I, I feel like I've sort of heard this too. There, um, I, are, there are people saying like, oh, it's because everyone's read the fan translations on the internet, right. but then they aren't buying the books. And I guess we don't know if that's true or not, but it does seem like people buy Shonen Jump comics, but for stuff like Vinland Saga, which is sort of right. more on the outer circle, even though it's like material you think would be very relevant to folks over here, like who doesn't love Vikings, right? Yeah. When actually, when you were checking Vinland Saga out, the fact it was about Vikings, like, was that one of the things that interested you in that way? Or that it was more historical? Maybe. I don't know. This was already, I guess this was in a time frame where everything was about Vikings and everyone was oh, like, yeah. ooh, Vikings are cool. Um, now it's like, oh God, everything's Vikings. I like, mean, there was that Assassin's Creed game that was about yeah, Vikings. That was obviously more recent. What other Viking stuff is there? I don't really know. Uh, there was like a TV show. I forget what oh, it was called. Yeah. There was a bunch of stuff. Oh, there was a Vikings TV show. I had a friend who was into yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I when did never you uh, check out Planetes? So so once I got into Vinland Saga, I just, right. I did the thing, the customary thing that I mean I always do. I don't know about anyone else. I just had to like learn all about it. So like, what else has he done? So I looked because I I fell in love with Vinland right. Saga very quickly and uh, had to read more. So then I went back and I got the manga for Planetes, and I also watched the movie. Um. I mean, that was as far as I went because there's nothing else by Makoto Yukimura. Oh, is there a Vinland Saga movie? No, 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 Planetes. Oh, there's a Planetes movie? Planetes movie. Uh, like a live that? action one? Yeah, no, uh, uh, animated. Oh, it's an anime but movie. it's a series. Is it a series? Yeah, it's it a, a TV movie. series. It's a movie. Am I just mixing this up now? Because I remember watching it yeah, and it's being definitely, like... It's a 26 episode TV series for Planetes. I couldn't have watched all of that. I feel like I watched something that was much shorter. That's interesting. Now I'm like, what that am, am I am I completely misremembering this? I didn't. I will admit that I didn't even re- research this because I was so convinced of my own perception of reality that I'm Alex. Now, I am now utterly like. I mean, to be fair, it is 26 episodes. You're correct. I'm, so oh then, how much crap. of it did you see? I must have watched all of it. Interesting, but you don't remember any of it. It's funny. no. I, I I remember that they cut out some things. I remember it, it absolutely being, does. I haven't seen all of it, but. Looking, oh my God, through, did I watch all looking through the plot summaries of the show and kind of lining it up to what I've read of the comic now that I've read all of it, it is really interesting how it expands certain elements of the comic and then just completely cuts out others in a way that I can imagine my frustrate oh, folks really? who've like read the comics. And like, why I, are you doing this? Right? It, it's Okay, this is actually tripping me out now because it's it's so telling that my memory of it what became so distorted that I I, I I thought that it had to be a movie because what I remembered specifically was they cut out things. And huh. I guess I, the only way I could reconcile that in my distorted memory was that it must have been a movie. That's fascinating. Which, I mean, how could you fit it all in that? But that's so funny. Yeah. I mean, it is kind of wild looking back at it. So not to get too tangled up because I feel like we should also sort of describe what these things are. But if we're talking about the arc of Makoto Yukimura's career, so this is a comics, a fairly famous Japanese comics artist, right? He hasn't actually done that many comics, seemingly. No. Like, he did Planet His. But Vinland Saga is substantial at this point. Like, it's been around, it's what, 26 volumes or something? Oh, yeah. Like, Vinland Saga's been going for a while. I mean, do we want to, 
So he he does. Well, before we get yeah, into sorry. the history of Makoto Yukimura, right. how did you get into it? We oh, I wasn't sure if you're going to ask that. Oh, I, I want to um, know. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think compared to you, I don't really have a big story. I have always been kind of familiar with Planet Days just because I saw the anime series floating around right. and I heard people speak positively about it, especially as an anime series that's very hard science fiction, like it's very grounded in right. sort of the technical workings of space and space travel. I feel like there's a good number of popular anime science fiction series, but many of them are much more absurd in their depiction or like much more over the top in their depiction. Like you'll see stuff like, uh, oh, a giant spaceship mm. shaped like a Japanese warship or um yeah. more fantasy science fiction even stuff sense, like legend yeah. of the galactic heroes which is a series i think is really cool one that has is about like more realistic politicking and sort of questions of democracy and imperialism and that kind of thing where that's sort of the focus rather than the cool fights it does still feel like it's still like this grand scale story with spaceships the size of planets and stuff right. doing battle with each other and the humans are the more realistic element. So Planetes does seem, did at least seem unusual at the time, where it was very much asking questions like, well, you know, with real-life space travel, a single little bolt yeah. can wreck a whole spaceship just because of the speed it's traveling through space. And that you know what's really funny? And I wonder how much the creators of The Expanse were aware of Planetes. Because The Expanse comes after Planetes, I think, in the grand They're scheme of definitely, things. So. Con there are definitely genre fiction authors out there who are big anime or manga fans. Yeah. I don't know if the Expanse, even like the original book authors, are fans, but it, it's possible. It was you just interesting know. to go back to Planetas after the Expanse because, you know, I obviously experienced the Planetas before right. the Expanse, and then coming back to it now, I'm like, huh, th th there is a dialogue here. But going, going back to yeah. it. So I watched a couple episodes of Planetes, but I never finished the whole thing. I think I maybe got to the Moon Ninjas or something. And then okay. I was going to watch more. Yes, Yeah, I said Moon Ninjas. The Moon Ninjas do not appear in the comic, but they are Ooh. absolutely in the anime. That's something that's real. And I so do not remember. I'm going to have to rewatch this anime. I'm, yeah, my own memory of it is so completely distorted at this point. can bring it back to Anime Club, Alex. We, we could. I mean, that, era. that would yeah. be excellent. Yeah. And when I think when it came to Vinland Saga, it took me a while to check it out. I'm not really sure why i think i saw images of it that were like the oh these people carrying a giant boat on their backs running across the ground and i mm. thought oh this is just like berserk like i've already seen stuff like this it right i don't know if i feel like reading another comic about super strong guys beating each other up and what i found out when i actually read vinland saga is that that's not really something that yukimura is interested in no. or it's something that he can draw like he's pretty good at drawing action but reading several volumes of Inland Saga and having finished Planetes recently, what's really fascinating to me is looking at how one was almost like a training ground for the other. Yes. Like Planetes yes. being a vessel for Ikimura to sort of work out exactly what interests him and what he likes it, to draw stories about. I was actually mind blown. Yeah. It's all there. And I did and then not when you get to Vinland yeah. Saga, even Vinland Saga sort of displays some evolution where you sort of see him growing further and knew what he's good at. But definitely it, it seems to hit like that thematic ground much quicker in that Yukimura goes as a, like a storyteller, as a comics creator, this is the kind of story I want to tell. And he goes for it and he's been going for it for several volumes and they've all been really good. So, yeah. um, I mean, that was actually interesting. So again, going back to Planetas, two things were interesting. One, 
was how much he was just kind of grasping at straws in those first few yeah, chapters. Yeah, for sure. Where he just, it's clear that he he's a research bug. He's definitely someone who did his homework and no, understands the milieu of what he's yeah. addressing very well, but had no idea narratively where he wanted to go. Since and it kind of we're talking about Pontus, we want to start with Pontus first and then move to Vinland Saga. Um, because I feel like we should also describe what these are about. Yeah, so people yeah. who like, I, have never read these will weirdly, have some grounding. And and I could be swayed here. But maybe we go into Vinland Saga first and then okay. go back to Planetus because Vinland Saga is. I almost don't want to dwell too much on Vinland Saga because it is. It's you know it's out there. Uh, I think people with the anime people are experiencing more so, and I think a lot of people are discovering with season two what oh, it's, it's really true. about finally. Uh, and it is weirdly controversial uh, because people have bad sort of. Okay, un, do you, you want know. to talk about what Vinland Saga is about then? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so it's about Vikings. We covered it. It is. It's been going for over twenty two volumes. Yeah, and it has not ended yet. Although it may end within the next few years, I think Yumura said. Right. I, it's it's in its final arc, if I understand correctly. Yeah. I think so. Um, and I will say, I mean, obviously, if you want, if you know what the word Vinland means, it's you know Viking, the Viking word for North America. You probably already have a inkling of what the story might be dealing with. It starts with the story of revenge, right? Yes. Like you have this character, Thorfinn. Thorfinn, who is a crappy little teenage boy who likes beating <laughs> people up. He has He's a, just a terrible, tragic backstory that yeah. drives him to become an instrument of violence. And he joins up with a Viking band to eventually take revenge in the future on the guy who leads yeah. it, right? Yeah, on the Ascalon. guy who leads it, um, Askeladd, is uh, Welsh, though, which is interesting. Oh, right. Yeah. Which is an interesting sort of plot thing that it deals with. So, the thing to kind of preface about Vinland Saga that's very important is that it actually takes place in a real part of human history. Right. Um, there was a real, well, there was not a real Askeladd, but there was a real King Canute who was, you know, this guy who, you know, unified. Another very important character who we yeah. haven't mentioned yet, but does appear and is um, very important. In yeah, the he was king story. of England and Norway. Like, that was yeah. a thing that happened. And I think that included Denmark as well. Um, like that's the thing that happened historically. Canute ex- exists. Um, Thorfinn exists. He's a real oh, historical yeah. character, and so is uh, Leif Erikson. Like they are, they're all historical characters. Yeah, that who's like a prominent side character who sort of keeps appearing yeah. through the story, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think is he just called Leif most times, but it's like pretty clear who he's supposed to be. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, also, yeah, I would imagine the Japanese, it's like Leif Sama or Leif right something. Yeah. So. Yeah. So. Um, interesting bit well actually so yeah how do we want to talk about this do you want to talk about sort of different characters or like what well so so let's talk about what thematically and i think this is a good sort of angle on it because why it has the second season of vinland saga the anime been so controversial um and it's because it suddenly the story a story that's been very action-packed very intrigue driven slows down and it's all about farming yeah so like like we said this story starts with vikings running across the ground carrying a giant ship on their back and for several volumes it stays in that mode right where it's about uh people who are really strong fighting each other parties and planning on who they're going to fight next and how many more people are going to fight and how much more power they're going to get specifically how thorfinn will get his revenge right because it's a revenge story in it that is. first part, you know, because Thorfinn's dad is killed by the very man he, and it's a bit of, a, I mean, it's, is it a spoiler? I don't know. It's like so early on. He's killed by the very man that, you know, is the leader of this band. Yeah. And so a lot of really cool characters introduced, like there's Thor Kell, right? 
who is this incredibly strong, scary guy who's also kind of a comedic character. Yeah, he's like uh, like obsessed obsessed with with violence and yeah. acting and he is like, to an, like sort of humorous one extent. of the more cartoony characters in the story because yeah. even though like this is grounded in real history, it is still a comic, and you have characters who behave in ways that are like a little removed from reality. Yeah, yeah. I mean it, it. And this is something that I think. Makuri Yukimura, I think maybe has even himself admitted, if I remember correctly, in some of the back matter, is that there's this sort of fine, or maybe it's just I've thought so much about it that it, I've internalized it, um, is that the, there's this fine line that he walks, like, to your point, you've mentioned that he he's so good at um, illustrating violence and yeah. action, and he clearly thinks there's something cool about it or is very able to bring that out, but himself is a pacifist. I mean, the, the guy is a self-admitted pacifist, right. and... He clearly, his ultimate messaging here is not one that violence should should be something that we think is cool uh, or engage in. Yeah, so what happens at a certain point, so this story kind of continues along this sort of um, shonen jump ki- kind of power scaling, right? Like oh, yeah. You have this mercenary band that becomes stronger and stronger, and it's about to reach this point where the characters will sort of embark upon this greater journey and sort of continue that escalation. But all of a sudden, just like a train, like crashing into a brick wall, it just reaches this point where it totally derails. And a scene that- I mean, completely anticlimactic. And and a scene that you thought was going to take you to the next stage of the story instead terminates the story that you thought the comic was telling. The revenge completely fails. There's, there's no way for it to be carried out. I mean, everything just completely falls apart. Thorfinn himself as the main character of the story is almost like upstaged by another character who pops out of nowhere. And he's like, I'm the main character of the story now. Like he almost seizes control of that first part. And you realize that this whole like epic story of violence and revenge you thought you were reading was actually a prologue to Thorfinn's yes. real story. <laughs> and actually it's a rejection of violence. Who right. knew? And um, so there is a time jump of sorts. Yeah, it's like six years or yeah. so. It's pretty and you get to Thorfinn in a very different context. Now yeah. he is a slave working on a farm, yeah. right? Yep. And um, I mean, it's and he's so clearly suffering from PTSD at yeah. this point. Because um, well. it turns out that being like a teenager and a child living in an incredibly traumatic and violent environment does actually make you need to sort of work yeah. through those things. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he's still definitely as, as season two begins, uh, you know, he's still definitely working through it. Like he himself has not figured out, you know, is he, re- you know, he, he's just unable to, to do violence, right. but he has not necessarily consciously kind of pieced it all together yeah. of like what his thoughts and you know feelings on i think the are. game that yukimura plays is interesting too because it, even in in the first part of the series actually i feel like because yeah. thorfinn starts out as oh, it's a, right this, there i mean his dad tells him don't do this yeah it's don't true. walk you know because uh, for context Thor, thorfinn's dad thor's this is not Thorkill. thor's thor look the norse people are fun there are a lot um, of folks named thor it's yeah true. they like thor He's he's cool, I guess. Um, we have comics and stuff too. Um, anyway, we digress. Um, but Thor's was a renowned Viking in his time, right? And was a very successful warrior. Thor's being Thorfinn's dad, dad, right? correct? Yeah. And he tells Thorfinn, "Do not follow in my footsteps. Do not do violence unto others," because he himself has renounced it. But Thorfinn is a kid; and he doesn't understand this. Anyway, yeah. I mean, I guess what I wanted to say is yeah, that sorry. Uh, Yukimura plays this game where he because Thorfinn is like this blunt instrument of violence and doesn't necessarily start out with like a lot of interiority in that way. He uses other characters 
and sort of puts them at the center of the story and has them sort of sort of have has them give the reader right. their perspective. Yes. And he does this in the second part as well, where he has a character of Ooh, uh, is it you know, Ain- I thought about that. That's a good point. Is it uh Einar, I think? Einar. Einar, Einar is yeah. Yep. Who is the someone Englishman. who we see is his family is killed, he yep. is enslaved, he is sold, and he ends up on the same farm that Thorfinn is. And so because Thorfinn is still like deep in his shell like unable to come out sort of deeply traumatized it's Einar's narrative that we follow and Thorfinn is this mystery even though we already know like who he is like we know that even when Thorfinn is threatened by these people who are like kind of low lives compared to what he's been through that like wow here's this super powerful badass except he's in this context where like the skills he used to have don't actually do him any good they're completely useless in fact he's he's he doesn't know anything about farming so he actually, it's funny because this actually just happened in the most recent episode where he has this moment of everything I know is useless. <laughs> I am useless. I'm like, it's great. It's true. So but he has to like learn how to be a person from the yeah. ground up. And, you know, Yukimura sort of, there's some crowd pleasing elements to the game he's playing where he gives you moments where you have a character who comes up who's like, haha, I will beat you up, Thorfinn, because you're just a powerless slave. And then Thorfinn's like, actually, I am super strong. And you just don't know. But yeah. again, being super strong isn't going to help Thorfinn. What does yeah. help him is the people he meets along the way, teaching him what it's like to be a person who yeah. cares about others and has like some amount of self-understanding. Yeah. Yeah. Um, th- there was another good moment in that episode where uh, Einar is like, doesn't this make you angry? Like, h- how are you not angered by this? It's true. Um, and you can kind of see that Thorfinn is kind of learning how to human again. Right. I mean, so we've been talking a bunch about the anime. There has been an anime adaptation that's been airing, I think, a second season that's airing right now. Mm-hmm. There was a first season that ran for about 24, 25 episodes, 26 maybe. That was put was up by 26. Wit Studio, yeah. I think. And um, reading interviews with the director and the staff, they clearly like care a lot about the original story and worked a lot with Yukimura to try to figure out what the core of it is so they can tell it correctly. They definitely rejiggered some things in the chronology. Oh, they did. Like they moved things around in that way, but it is pretty cool that it seems like they could have done it as, Oh yeah, let's just make it violent all the time. But that's not what they did. They went, no, that's not what the story is about. So in that case, like Alex, what is the story about? Since I feel like you've probably thought about this even more of an idea. Yeah. So ultimately the story is about how one finds their way to peace in a fundamentally violent world yeah and whether that is possible um because you know once you choose that life of peace the world keeps pushing you back it does kind of course correcting you back to that world of violence and is it possible to kind of retain that integrity and that life and your values in a world that constantly wants you to be violent and to do violence onto others like how do you can you first of all not even how do you escape that, but can you fundamentally escape that? And, and this is something we don't yet know. I mean, we don't know how it ends because mm-hmm. we know that um, this is so, so the Vinland saga in, in real sort of world parlance. I mean, it is a thing that exists. Uh, and these, there are these stories of Norsemen going to North America and founding settlements. And we know this now for a fact, there have been archeological, you know, facts found. And this is, we know that this happened like about 500, 600 years before yeah. North America was quote unquote discovered by, you know, Western, you know, explorers, the Vikings went there and they had settlements. Um, but these settlements also didn't last. They at some point failed for some reason that we're not entirely sure historically. And this is probably to me the biggest question of, cause I kind of, I know obviously what the thesis of Vinland saga is, but I do not know 
yet. And I honestly, I don't know that Yukimura knows either. And I hope mm. he figures it out because um, he's actually admitted to kind of being like, oh, hey, I have to finish this. And I don't really know how it's true. Yeah. Um, and he's currently the manga's on hiatus, actually, because he was overworking himself. Um, and, you know, how do you reconcile? Because ultimately they are going to a place where, you know, there's indigenous people. They are taking land away from other people and they have to somehow, you know, how do you share that? How do you, how does violence not find its way back into that equation yeah. as well? Cause the whole reason they're looking for Vinland saga in the first place, a bit of a late game spoiler, but it's not that big is because it's a fresh land with a fresh opportunity for a new start. Right. One where you can make a land of peace. And well, we know that does not happen. The indigenous peoples of North America are brutally slaughtered over several centuries by, you know, Western people. And so, back to Western our soul being slaughtered to this day, to the, yeah, speaking. Right. So that, yeah. Um, so obviously it's a tragedy in that sense because, and I think Yukimura is very keenly aware of that. Um, mm. Obviously that doesn't nullify the struggle for that, but, but that is, you know, whether or not it's futile is I think to be determined generally. Yeah. I mean, I, we've talked about the controversy that comes about part two of the story. Like everything right. that happens after the big turning point where the genre almost shifts. Right. And part of it is that it starts as a story that's about, wow, look at how strong and powerful these characters are and how cool violence is. And then makes this big jump to, oh, actually, like, this isn't a story about violence. This is a story about, like, self-discovery and personal development, which means the characters get, like, stuck in one place for a long time and do a lot of thinking. People who came on board for the ship on people's shoulders are not necessarily on board for that. But I do think there is something very interesting that Yukimura hits on, which is the idea that killing people if you're like a strong viking is easy but not killing people is actually pretty hard and, like we see yes. from the jump that thorfinn is good at i mean it's already challenging enough for him to win fights with weapons but when he then moves to i will like rarely use weapons when i can that right. suddenly makes everything so much harder and, right? and that actually is it's hinted at okay this is again delving into slight spoiler territory so be warned but there's a hint to, towards this in the latest episode where um, Thorfinn thinks back to being told to become a true warrior. Yeah. And ultimately he comes with an answer of what it means to be a true warrior. And it is someone who can essentially avoid violence, who can That's win true. a fight without engaging in violence. I want to talk. That yeah. is the, the path. What he defines as the path of a true warrior. I want to talk briefly about where Vinland Saga comes from. Yep. Um, like not just the origin and the history, which you've done a great job talking about, but just where it was published. Sure. Oh so yeah. Vinland That's Saga good. was, let's see. It was published, man, I did such a good job building up to this, <laughs> and now I can't find it anywhere. Hang on, sorry. Oh, I see. It was originally published in Weekly Shonen Magazine, which was a shonen, like it oh, was for I didn't kids know that. from yeah. 12 and 15, yeah. but then it switched after the first couple of chapters. They moved it to Monthly Afternoon which is a magazine mm. that's more targeted at older audiences and still like people in their 20s. I wonder if that was an editorial decision or if the switch helped it get to where it needs so to be. So I think be. part of it is, I think, um, Weekly Shonen Magazine, like it says it's a weekly magazine. Yeah. It meant that he had to like produce pages every single yes. week. And I think Wild. at his speed, like a monthly thing was better for him. But I think you do see that shift, and I mean, I'm drawing you do, this. Yeah, I'm drawing this specifically. There's a podcast I have not listened to, but it's apparently very good, called Manga Splaining, which has a lot of like famous comic critics, like mm -hmm. David Brothers and uh, Deb Aoki, on it. They did an episode in Vinland Saga, and this is one of the things they talk about that the first couple chapters there's more of like an emphasis on potty humor mm -hmm. and on sort of weird caricatures and that kind of thing, and 
But then pretty early on, there's a sudden shift where all of a sudden everyone develops more interiority when it sort of switches magazines. And personally I, I speaking, remember, yeah. see, it's funny because I, I was first reading this ages ago, but I actually distinctly remember that and thinking about that switch as, and I was actually thinking again about that because I remember how we were talking about with Planetas, takes Yukimura a while to find his footing. And I was right. like, was the same thing the case with Vinland Saga? Because it's such a short-footed story Except for that switch, but I think you, you just explained it, so that's what it is. Right, yeah. And I, I do think it's for the best, because, okay, I'm going to call my shot. This is what I want to talk about, like, bringing Planetes and Vinland Saga together. I think that Makoto Yukimura, who's good at many different things, where he most impresses me is, like, telling stories about masculinity and, like, that mm-hmm. kind of drive about men who oh, become really stuck in themselves. So much about masculinity. And cannot yeah. escape. And how they have to learn to, like, break out of these sort of systems they build. Oh, sorry. Go Adam, on. I'm so sorry. He's the anti-Chris Nolan. You'll have to explain that That's a that hot take. take. I'm sorry. <laughs> what, is it, what does that mean? I, I really don't get so... Try. Go so, on. So Chris Nolan is does a lot of... He's a, he's a movie director. He does a lot of... He's yeah. done a lot of movies. He about, did uh, The Dark Knight. He did yeah. Inception. He yeah. did uh, Tenet and many other things. Uh, yeah. Anyways. Uh, Interstellar. Uh, yep. All these stories are about tortured men who are so driven towards singular goals. And in mm. that sense, it's also stories about masculinity. But I feel like, in essence, Yukimura rejects some of that, but also works obviously with very sort of focused men who have these very definitive goals, but then he introduces nuance into it. Yeah. Like it feels um, like you can characters because um, in Vinland Saga is Thorfinn, right? Or it's, yeah. it's other characters too. Like I think all of his main it's characters Thorfinn often primarily. like come yeah. up against this challenge and some of them are broken by it or like they find their way out of it, but are destroyed for it. Yeah. But Thorfinn, because he's the character that we spend the most time with in Vinland Saga, he is the person who we see grow the most. Yep as someone who starts out thinking, well, this is what I'm going to be. And he commits himself completely to that thing. Cause he thinks like, I mean, part of it's like as a Viking being also like as a man, this is my responsibility. This is what I have to do. This is what my dad would have wanted me to do. Yeah. But over time he realizes, no, that doesn't work. And so it becomes, how do you live your life knowing you can't live in that way? And so much of like, what's really interesting to me about his stories is seeing how his character's, try to pull themselves out of that trap like them sort of wriggling like saying well who am i what do i want to be like that sort of spiritual meditation of um in vinland saga it's like oh he's in the he's subsumed by bodies he's trapped in the cycle of violence he is told the only way to live is to escape but escaping could destroy you so do you stay in this place that is slowly like eroding you from the inside or do you go somewhere else where you might be happy, but getting there will be so hard it might just completely tear you to pieces. Yeah. And he's so good at like depicting finding like metaphors or sort of visual signifiers to depict these sorts of kind of mental spiritual transformations. I can't really think of many others in that field who are as good as him in that respect. If anything, I would say I don't think I can't say if Yukimura takes particular inspiration from this comics artist, but if I was going to think of someone who I think is playing in similar territory, it's Inoue. Uh, I think mm-hmm. Toshiki Inoue, who does stuff like Slam Dunk, Real, Vagabond, Vagabond especially, to me, 
feels like it's a comic that is in this same zone in terms of themes. Have you read Vagabond at all? I, I haven't. Um, as a quick side note, you did, since we mentioned Monster and Urasawa's work earlier, um, the way you were framing that did make me think about the fact that in a lot of ways Urasawa does stories about journeys, but those it's yeah. more so about the journey than it is about how that journey changes sometimes the character, whereas this is it's more you know yukimura is more character driven uh and more so about how the character changes yeah. i mean if anything i would say urasawa is really good at having super strong effective individual moments yeah while like having all those moments add up to something is sometimes more challenging for him well even in the case of monster it's like the it's the story is more so about a character trying to cling to who they are right and who they are as they understand themselves to be at the beginning of the journey rather than allowing the journey to change them in any fundamental way and almost the journey cannot because yeah. it's about them you know clinging to their integrity whereas in this story it's about someone constantly having to find themselves again oh in yeah i mean for yukimura for sure like the yeah. arc of the in character Finland. is a thing yeah like i don't know plotting wise how far out he goes in advance but definitely like that crux that like tests the person over and over mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. how they like are a completely different person at one point in the story than another point in the story like that span of growth is yeah. what he's a master at i think yeah um like if i was gonna say this is like the thing that distinguishes him as an artist and as a storyteller, it's like the fact he draws really cool action scenes, but it's also this. Yeah. It's that he's so good at depicting long form change of like someone's personality yeah. over time. Yeah. And like selling that transformation through the way he draws them, through their actions, through like parceling the relationships out with yeah, other people. How I mean... they change, like right. how they relate to people. And also, like, this same thing plays out in other ways, too. Like, you'll have other characters come in. You see that transformation happen as well. Oh, gosh. I mean, yeah. I, so I, I'm i caught up on the manga, at least, you know, here in the West of what's been published right. in, in physical format. And the latest volume had such a beautiful arc come to a conclusion. I will say no more than that. But, I mean, not just for Thorfinn, but for this other character who who was whose whole life was defined by Thorfinn. Um, and obviously continues to be defined by Thorfinn, but for both of them to reach a point of catharsis was mm. such a beautiful moment. Um, but again, I think our limitation with Inland Saga is that it's not over yet, and right. we don't know where it ends. I dearly hope the anime gets to tell the whole story because in a lot of ways we're just beginning. I mean, yeah. like you said, it was, season one was a prologue. Uh, the show really begins now we've barely scratched the surface of all of the characters that Thorfinn is going to meet and become a part of their world. And and they will become a part of his world and how they will all continue to grow and evolve together. That's just beginning. I mean, with Einar. Yeah. So also say, I don't envy the person who are working in the, the people who are working in the anime, because I know they're all really devoted. They've, uh, I think done a really admirable job of what they have, but I also feel like Yukimura's style and like the kind of detail heavy, monthly schedule he has for the comic is just really tough to like render an anime form like in its current state i think like a bunch of vinland saga ovas would be perfect almost in terms of like capturing exactly the feel of the story but while the anime has some really fantastic individual episodes i feel like it's definitely sometimes had a hard time like keeping 
uh, yeah, the same keeping level. things up to the same level that comic is doing. But that that's just a challenge for every series like this. I mean, shoot, let's bring up Golden Kamui real quick because that's that's I another example. I was waiting for you to bring up Golden you know? Kamui because you yeah. know who's a fan of Satoru Noda who draws Golden Kamui? Oh, is it Yukimura? Yeah, Makoto Yukimura. I mean, I love fan. both equally. I They're probably some of my favorite seinen right now. Yeah, so, and yeah, in fact, that, Golden Kamui. So actually, <laughs> I think Golden Kamui is a shonen comic, actually. Is it really? I'm pretty I, sure He's like a seinen to me, but yeah, I Yeah, I mean, that. all this stuff is kind of arbitrary to begin with anyway. <laughs> at some point. It's so <laughs> I, I did, um, there's a funny interview that Kamui Central translated, which I guess is a Golden Kamui fan site. Yeah. It's an interview from mantonweb.jp. So Yukimura is talking to, is it Satoru Noda, who's the Golden Kamui artist? Oh my goodness. I don't know off the top of my head. And so uh, Yukimura tells a story about how he discovered Golden Kamui for the first time. So Golden Kamui is this very fun historical series about a guy working with an Ainu girl to like track down this uh, treasure map on the back. Lost gold. Yeah. Lost gold. Um using these maps like taken from the backs of prisoners right like on their skin yes it's like this combination of um historical detail uh, also so carefully researched yeah interesting facts about like cooking and wildlife and that kind of thing and also just extreme ultra violence yeah and like weird sexual tension and a lot of like bara moments that just come out of nowhere lots of like very muscular and beautiful men and like all kinds of stuff like that so uh yukimura talks about discovering Golden Kamui and he reaches out to his editor and he says, are you reading Golden Kamui that began serialization in Young Jump two weeks ago? It'll definitely be interesting. And then his editor said, if Yukimura-san says it interesting, that manga would lose its luck. So stop saying it. (laughs) And then it says, uh, um, Yukimura says that his editor told him if Yukimura-san wasn't a fan of Golden Kamui, Golden Kamui would have sold thrice that it has now. (laughs) Just this idea that Yukimura becoming a fan of a series is enough to just doom it from the jump. Like his interests are just not commercial in that way. And Golden Kamui, from my understanding, is actually fairly popular for what it is. Like it's still been (laughs) adapted all this time. The anime series is still going. And again, like it's struggled, like maybe even a bit more than like Vinland Saga to sort of keep at that level of quality the comic is at. But it's still going. It hasn't been canceled yet. So it's popular enough. And it's gotten better. So, I mean, the reason I brought up Golden Kamui is because... So we're actually we've been watching t- the anime together, That's and right. we're in an anime club that like watches yeah. this stuff every week. Yeah. Uh, keeps us honest, but I-, I kind of skipped on seeing Golden Kamui when it first came out, in spite of being a tremendous fan of the manga, because the word was that the the anime was just bad. It just didn't live up to the manga at all. There was you know the CGI bear, so I was just like meh, whatever. I'll I'll just keep reading the manga because I love it dearly. It's one of my yeah. favorite manga. And I'm satisfied with that. And I don't want this to sour my experience. But then the anime persisted. We get a second season. We get a third season. We're currently in the fourth season. And as this happens, word on the street is that it got better. And I cannot firmly and faithfully say that it does, in fact, get better. It gets truer to the tone of the manga as well by the time it gets to season three, especially. Um but tonally, it has been very inconsistent as a result. What I will say as a contrast is that I think Vinland Saga is more, even in its inconsistency, right. it has been more consistent in the in its ups and downs like since I the beginning. I think they pretty much know exactly what they want to get yeah. out of it. The problem is more how challenging it is to actually do that right? Yeah, on TV, like in this particular era. It's and, just, and, and I would yeah. say the anime does start, I think, at a higher plateau of quality than, right. than the Golden Kamui one does, where eventually it does find its footing. I think it's fine, but... 
Um, so pros and cons to that, I suppose. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, do we want to talk about Planetae some? Or yeah, is so there I anything think, more think, you want to talk about in terms of Vinland Saga? Like, yeah, I think now's a good time to switch to Planetas also because as we've established some of what Vinland Saga is and how we kind of can't really know where it'll end up because, well, um, we just haven't gone there yet. That's true. Um, we do know where Planetas ends and we have that full arc of it, which I think is... It, 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 this is also why I want to talk about Planeta Second because I think it gives us such a good idea of where Vinland Saga might go. Right. Um, because as you, I think, excellently stated, it is, I think it's like almost the Rosetta Stone, the the, the mapping out almost entirely of what Vinland Saga was going to be from a thematic And Makoto Yukimura's career almost. Yeah. Like yeah. in terms of him figuring out like, oh, what do I want to tell stories about? Yeah. So... Um, so yeah, Adam, like, uh, take us in. Like, what what's Planetas about? What is Planetas about? It is about a bunch of people who are on a ship called the Toy Box in the near future, where space travel is much more developed than it is now. But there are still many inconveniences. Like, for instance, any small bolt floating in space can tear through any spaceship and destroy it and kill all the people inside. So what that means is you have space garbage disposal people who fly around and clear up debris so it won't destroy things. And that is the responsibility of the toy box and the crew on it. Crew that include a number of people. There is uh, Fee Carmichael, who is sort of the head of the ship. There's Yuri uh, Mikhailokov, I think, who's sort of second in command. There's Hashimaki, who starts out as sort of like kind of the newbie character, like the young recruit kind of character, but over time transforms into something that's a bit different and later you get Aitanabe who actually in the anime is sort of the main character or like the one who's yeah, a viewpoint character yeah. but in the comic is more someone who's introduced later and more becomes a Hashimaki's love interest kind of so I think what I was most curious about reading through Planetes again because I read the first volume the first like collected omnibus of it I've never read the whole thing as of a couple weeks ago when I finally did honestly from what I, from my experience, the first couple chapters of Planetes, each chapter is just like the pilot for the new comic. Yeah. Like w- rather than a coherent story, it feels more like Yukimura drew a bunch of one shots set in the same world that yeah, gradually 100%. connect together to yeah. an actual story. Like even the way that Hachimaki is drawn and depicted in the beginning is completely different from how he is later. Like I think the color of his, his hair is his different. Hair, yeah, he goes from the way he's drawn to, is different to, yeah. to black hair. Yeah, like Yuri. Who he has a story where he um, a one of those bolts, like. Well, at first you think Yuri might be the the, the yeah, main character as like well. The, begin- the very first chapter is yeah. really more about him. It's about how uh, there was a disaster in space that killed his wife, and he's now very sad, and he wishes he could have her back, right? And he's like that the main character in the beginning, but pretty quickly Hashimaki takes over, and he's the main character. And I, I mean, honestly, you can draw a direct line. From Hashimaki to Fourth End, from Vinland Saga, yeah. like they are not necessarily the same character, but their struggle I think is the same, and kind of follows a similar arc too. Where the interesting thing of Hashimaki, when he's introduced, he is like, uh, again, he's like a newbie. He's like, oh, I'm the Shonen Jump main character who will become a great astronaut or whatever. But then he's sort of the when he devotes himself to becoming the greatest and to this sort of ambition of his you see how this changes him and as he becomes more dedicated he sort of becomes harder and harder to like but what happens is that as he sort of 
is pushed down that road to becoming more of a hard ass he eventually breaks out through the other side and he understands wait a second like what am i like fighting for really at the end of the day and he just transforms completely and becomes a more well-rounded person when he realizes um the stakes of what he's doing who he is personally what he owes other people in his life what a life looks like i mean part of this is you have a uh, i tanabe who's introduced who is someone who again is a pacifist to the point of almost seeming like this stubborn naive optimist but considering this arc that the comics artist Yukimura has had over the course of his career does kind of feel like Yukimura actually makes Ai's character the voice of reason, right? That we're supposed to sort of side with her. Yeah. We're supposed to believe that maybe like there is an action other than violence right? or an action other or something other than ambition, that the world is much larger than these sorts of these structures of accomplishment that we build for ourselves. So before we kind of go into some of how we get to that, I do want to point out this one quote because it, ties into what you're saying perfectly right. um I, I was trying to find where actually i took i wrote the quote down but i for the life of me didn't write where it occurs in the manga so okay. who says it but i think it just perfectly underlined what planetas is about but also what vinland saga is about yeah. and that is <clears throat> the universe is a whole the things in it separated only by a lack of understanding and now i've let go of my questions outer space earth there are names one is no different than the other. And why do I mention this? Because it demonstrates a lack of boundaries. Right. And But also fundamental interconnection. And I think that is so critical to Yukimura's philosophy, which is, you know, I mean, I think that's, you know, feeds his pacifism as well. Like, do unto others as you would have done unto yourself. You know, obviously, and therefore don't do violence unto others because who wants violence done unto themselves? Right. Um but that form of connection and, and, you know, also the fact that there was generally a lack of understanding and having to overcome that understanding through communication, I think, comes comes up again and again and again, both in Vinland Saga and Planetas that, quite honestly, just talk to someone and, and that will enable that communication. Yeah, like it feels like so. both Vinland Saga and Planetas sort of have the main character go through these cosmic journeys of discovery. Like in Vinland Saga, there's these dream sequences that are very elaborate. And in Planetes, there's this figure, the cat, right? Like there's the yeah, black cat yeah. and the white cat that the characters sort of see at different times. And this sort of like cosmic understanding where the characters, you know, Vinland Saga is pretty grounded in reality in a way, like magic powers and things don't exist. But there is a sense that the characters are communicating with something outside of their frame, I guess. Like by coming to this greater understanding of themselves, it means like, integrating with the world i guess and understanding what it is like there's this realization that hachimaki has and that i tanabe also has where they realize uh even just standing on earth you are in space right yeah exactly like when you're here you're out there they're the same thing and you can spend all your life trying to get somewhere only to realize when you get there you've been there this entire time and that there's still a space in front of you and a space behind you and unless you can sort of understand that and work that in your life, you're sort of doomed to always be unsatisfied or just to dash yourself against the rock so many times you fall to pieces. Now, in Planetes, it is interesting, right? Because I feel like despite the fact that the story is not satisfied with pure ambition as a drive that will make you happy, I don't know if I'd say it's completely against ambition either. 
because I feel like... Well, I would say neither is Vinland Saga, ultimately, yeah. because Thorfinn's quest is obviously enabled and to some extent celebrated. Yeah. And, and, and to clarify, so Planeta is when it finally finds its footing narratively is centered around Hachimaki making the crew of a expedition to, I believe, Jupiter, uh, which would be the first such expedition... Um, and they would be going there for like seven years right. to he sort of he dedicates know. himself to this task, right? It's yeah. like this great thing. It would make him part of history, right? Like he would be following this path to greatness versus just living the rest of his life as a uh, sort of garbage disposal yeah. person. And he um, does eventually go to Jupiter, yeah. and it's a pretty amazing thing. Like he doesn't. The story doesn't right. end with just saying, "Oh, it turns out that working in garbage disposal was no." different from going to jupiter like yeah. at the end of the day hachimaki decides to go and do what he wants to do yeah, but and, there that, is and under, that being yeah. a drunk man is valuable and he wants yeah, to go is. back to it in fact so. and in fact to me like i really liked uh the storyline with fee after hachimaki sort of goes off to do his thing fee gets maybe even a whole volume to herself in the comic where you sort of see more of her story. And this is something that, as yeah. far as I can tell, doesn't really make its way into the anime adaptation no. at all. They actually kind of really cut Fia. In fact, I do remember this being very angry about this because I liked her a lot. Right. Um, there's a critical change even early on. I think if I remember correctly, where there's a sequence where she chases a kind of uh, runaway uh, ship or something to try to like, uh, destroy it or rain it in before it can shatter ab above the earth and cause the ke this Kessler syndrome, yeah. which gets mentioned again and again, which is that it would be a field of debris around the earth, which would really prevent, you know, safe exploration of of the uh, of the solar system. And I think in the in the anime, it's Hachimaki. It's not her. They they change it. That's interesting because in the I vaguely remember this the anime. anime series. It you know I clearly honestly, need to watch the anime. Again, I. So. Don't I think they probably did their best? The structure yeah. of the planet of his manga is so weird. Again, it feels like Yukimura is sort of changing his mind as to where he wants the story to go every other yeah. chapter in the beginning. And even later, the story to me still doesn't have a thorough line. Like it has sort of these ongoing character yeah. arcs in it, but it never feels like everything really comes together. It's just like each person sort of has their own. Well, even the trip to Jupiter yeah. is ultimately just sort of a waypoint along right. the way. And the funny thing is, to me, that's actually the biggest connection to Vinland Saga. Because oh, yeah. both are about these major expeditions, ultimately. Uh, one to North America, the other to Jupiter. Uh, and they're both about guys who want to go on these journeys and have to reconcile how to make that work with their lives. Yeah, like I think Fee's so. storyline to me in the comic was interesting and it's all about how she has this thing she wants to prevent. In the end, she yeah. can't. Like Kessler's syndrome ends up kicking in. The whole world ends up being surrounded by bits for who knows how many years. Yeah. Um, she has to just face up to the fact that there are things in her life that she wants to accomplish, but she can't to the degree that she wants. So her struggle is like, what do you do with that? Like, how do you still find peace with yourself and with the other people in your life when you're like yeah. up against such a strong thing. <laughs> and to me, definitely like there was a lot in that that I thought was really, I got important. so excited. I choked on my own. Spit. Oh, it's true. <clears throat> um, but so I guess what I wanted to say is I don't really begrudge the fact that in retrospect, the anime series is so different from the comic because they probably just had to completely rework the structure to make it work. Yeah. I mean, like there is a chapter from the first or second volume of the comic that, they just made into the 
finale of like the first 12 episodes they were just like yeah, yeah th- this makes more sense here so let's move this around right um like i think the anime is more of like kind of a cowboy cowboy bebop kind of story where it's like a lot of kind of one-off stories of different people on the ship and their different feelings and emotions and also the, the terrorist plot i think oh, yeah. is more important in the anime than it is in ultimately in uh the manga where the lead sort of character is just like i'm tired of fighting yeah, i mean it I'm definitely done. still is there in a comic yeah um yeah. It, but it is there's so many other things going on in the comic it does feel like it's just one among many different subjects that are addressed yeah. like i swear i've seen the anime yeah i just, like, just really don't out of remember curiosity so some pretty interesting people worked on the anime it was sunrise yeah. that produced it which is a studio that's done stuff like um a gundam series and that kind of thing well, that makes sense i don't know which studio at sunrise worked on it particularly but that goes to show like the kind of lineage they were drawing on in terms mm-hmm. of anime science fiction the person who directed it was Goro Tanaguchi, who's most famous for Code Geass, but has mm. done lots of like other pretty neat stuff in the past. Like his recent stuff is more hit or miss, although I personally have a soft spot for uh, Back Arrow, which is a very silly series. Mm. But he's done stuff like Infinite Rivius, which is like kind of a cool Lord of the Flies meets Evangelion kind of sci-fi series from the 90s, early 2000s. I forget which. And um, some other similar stuff. Planetez is maybe like the classiest series he's done in a way but it was him and then it was actually ichiro okuchi the scriptwriter who also worked on code Geass, who's done some absolute trash like a guilty crown for instance but he's a uh, you know he's done some good stuff too he's working on the new mobile suit gundam series which for mercury he's one of like the guiding talents on that show in terms of like what his perspective is and where it's going yeah. and it's interesting like you see their kind of like terrorist groups in which which are Mercury as well, and that sort of like has versus the have nots, mm. like sort of global economic balance, like empower enriching some and disenfranchising others is something that is in both Witch from Mercury and in Planetes. And, and I will say that awareness on Yukimura's side of things in Planetes, and the fact that he really does remark on, you know, that you know, geopolitical uh, this um, inequality and right. I think the way he, he feeds it into the sort of exploration of space um, into the motivations of the terrorist groups as well as um, ultimately how that reconciles with everyone's sort of individual quests for satisfaction right. whether that is space exploration finding peace with your family or what have you that awareness gives me some faith about and also the fact that there is a moment which I thought was kind of weird with a Native American person in Planetes. Oh, really? Where it, you know, I'm like, oh, so he clearly knows that this, you know, there's been a lot of explo- exploitation of these peoples and groups. Yeah. And surely there will be some reflection of this in Vinland, right? I mean, in Vinland song already, like you sort of see just the fact that Thorfinn and Anar are like enslaved, right? Oh, yeah, sort of seeing yeah. the different characters in that story and how they all relate to each other. And obviously like that kind of enslavement is like a distinctly sort of a different thing in a way from right. enslavement in the US. Like it's a different sort of historical right. I guess it's similar in some ways. But well, he does he does reflect on um like uh you know black American uh the black American experience a bit in Planetas as well, which yeah uh insofar as being, you know, a black man is is they inherently dangerous because people will read you as dangerous. Like it actually reflects on that as well. Um, B. Carmichael's from Florida, right? I think in, in Planet Hits. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's true. Which, which it always feels a little awkward coming from like a Japanese creator like this, but right. he gets, he gets it more right than not, I think. So 
you know what character really confused me in Planet Tales? And I just couldn't figure out what Yukimura was saying with them or what particularly was happening with that particular person. It is... Um, how do I put it? I wrote this down. Werner Locksmith, the guy who runs the Jupiter expedition, who's a super powerful. You know, you know what's funny about that character? Yeah. That was the most Urasawa character in this whole oh, story. Right. In my and opinion, he's like this very over the top. Yeah, kind of I just remember planner. thinking that. <laughs> yeah. But I was trying to understand, like, well, I mean, maybe this is my fault because I was sort of coming. Up, I was like, well, he's a hero. Is he a hero or a villain? Like, this is a story about a Hachimaki has to, like... I think he changed his mind about that character halfway through. Yeah. That's my read on it. Because when you first meet him, he's this bastard who's completely uncompromising in his vision. Yeah, he's the worst. Yeah. yeah. But then when you meet him later on in the second half of the story, he seems like someone who is greatly remorseful in some ways for the cost of what he knows he needs to do. That's interesting. And it almost feels like, in a sense... By that point in the story, Yukimura himself needs to insert that in the story because he's kind of projecting his own feelings yeah. on the matter. Um, so I, I honestly, yeah, I similarly, I, I had the same exact thought. I didn't know what to make of him because the thread is definitely lost on that guy by the time we get into the right. second half like of the story. Like that is, to me, that is probably the thing I was most surprised by reading Planetes is just how yeah. messy it is. There's just, oh, there's a lot of stuff in it that's really great, but none of it really fits together. Y- yeah. But yeah. not in, I think it's absolutely still worth reading. Like don't come out of this saying, oh, yeah. only read Vinland Saga. No, Planetes is great and it's also short. It's just. It's denser too. My in a way, goodness. Yeah. So I, having reread the whole thing, you know, in the past couple of weeks, um, I was, and then, and then actually going through and reading the latest volume of Vinland Saga, I was instantly struck by how much smoother the mm-hmm. reading experience is in Vinland Saga because it's more decompressed. Right. Whereas he shoves so much into every single page here. And to be fair, I think Ponitez was his first series, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, his first, I mean, he probably was an assistant on something. Oh, he was. But in you, fact, you know. I have here hey, exactly who he was an assistant Transition. Of. Yeah, um, let me see here. Do I have this written down? Oh, yeah. Um, I believe uh, after being in college for a very short while, mm-hmm. he became an assistant to Shin Morimura. Or I saw this guy's name written out in some places as Shin Morimura and in other places as Dai Morimura. I don't think any of his comics have been translated into English or even like mm. translated by fans, really. It's sort of a mystery. What I saw, actually is that Yukimura originally applied to be the assistant of, I think, Kaiji Kawaguchi, who is a comics artist who is pretty historically influential in Japan, done a lot of very, like, many award-winning titles published in magazines for adults, but also stuff that's very nationalist, stuff like Zipong or A Spirit of the Sun, which is Mm. specifically, ah, what if there was a great earthquake in Japan that made it so part of the Japan was controlled by the United States and the other half was controlled by China. What would happen then to Japan? Oh, just oh, a whole can of worms. Boy. But, and you know, otherwise apparently pretty talented in like that particular vein, but Yukimura ended up being hired by um, Marie Mura instead and worked with him, I think for a couple of years until he started with his own series, which not only did the Planetes manga win the Saiyan award, which yeah. is one of these, fairly prestigious Japanese science fiction awards, but the anime adaptation did too, which I yeah. think is pretty impressive. It's a deeply uh, ambitious work. Oh, and I think sure. it, it, in terms of how well, I mean, the thing that really has to be stated, I think about both Vinland Saga and 
planetas is they're so well researched and um quick kudos actually to yukimura because in the latest volume of inland saga there is mention that he there have been um like experts consulted on the native peoples who are, i think themselves indigenous mm. so, so so clearly he is cognizant enough to to do his research at that level like not just cursory but you know it does right. seem like that's a good chunk of how he spends and to be time. fair there are a bunch of comics artists out there who might be really passionate about something yeah. but don't particularly care about getting details right i've never had the belief that you can murder someone like that like he always goes yeah. into a project saying I want to nail as much as possible. And that, I guess, is a commonality I think he actually has of Satoru Noda, where Noda is the Golden Kamui guy. He is someone who has these absurd events and plot twists, but when it comes to actually depicting the world of the Ainu, he's always thought a lot about how do I render this as accurately as possible? Or how do I at least get the spirit of it right? Or convey their practices or historical traditions and that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, when you're playing, honestly, if you're like doing stuff about the Ainu and you're not from that culture yourself, you are kind of playing with fire in a way considering Japan's past history. So I guess it's good that Noda isn't just playing fast and loose with it. I do think that it's done. I mean, it's it's definitely done with a very sort of yeah. um, uh, anthropological eye at times, but it it definitely comes from a place of you know trying to understand and and trying to re, you know yeah. render everything as faithful. And as I should possible. say, Planetes was not the first hard science fiction comic. Like there are definitely oh, yeah. other artists in the past who've played in similar territory, even like in terms of age range or in terms of like rendering these more realistic science fictional worlds. But I think it's especially impressive, like not just how much detail you can wear a packs in, like kind of realizing this far future setting, but also how he was so young when he did it. Like the fact that it was just this guy who was an yeah. assistant before who comes in. The very first series he does, like, oh, it's it's kind of messy, but there's something there, right? And um, my understanding also is he when he goes on to do Vinland Saga, Vinland Saga wins the 2009 Japan Media Arts Festival Grand Prize, which is wild like a lot of really incredible comics have won that award. So Vinland Saga, like being in that playing field sort of shows, I think just how prestigious of a comic it is, like kind of the level that Ikimura is playing at. Like he's just on his second big series really. Yeah. And um, arguably maybe even his first, because Planetas by comparison is like what? Four volumes. Vinland Saga has been going six and going. Yeah. Yeah. So it's almost like incomparable. Like, you know, is there anything more we want to... What do you think about Aitanabe? Do you like her story? Um. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my only sort of... My only gripe yeah. with her arc with Hachimaki in particular is that the big sort of pivot point is like she kisses him. Right. And it's like, oh, I guess I am into that, says Hachimaki, and suddenly is like questioning his whole life's mission yeah and it the whole sort of i i think their romance in essence feels woefully simplistic ultimately mm. like i understand from a formalistic standpoint what yukimura is trying to do with those two and i and i think that the sequence where hachimaki visits earth and visits her family is probably the the, the high point of that interaction and i right. think you get much much more there in terms of both characterizing her. I mean, I think by that, by that point, he, I, I think, wanted to give her more, to flesh yeah. out her character, introduce us to her family. And I think 
in their communication there you kind of see why those two need to be together but some of this again it's this is the roughness of planetas right. i think um and you see it with her i did think it was points. very interesting it's like uh yukimura creates the character of Aitanabe, who's introduced as this yeah. idealist who's almost like absurdly almost yeah idealistic and so he like he <laughs> asks himself the question how does a person like this exist and the answer he comes to is she was an adopted child who talked to animals when she yeah. was a baby and only eventually like came to understand humans. Right. Like he had to go to the place where he was like, how can someone can actually be real? And it was, Oh, they were like a space alien or something. Yeah. And that, that is kind of strange in a way, but it is also endearing sort of to me. It's like he basically had, he went, no, I need to find a way to make this somewhat realistic. And he tried yeah. to create this believable relationship between them, which meant like understanding what kind of people they were, I guess. That is a recurring theme, though, in so far as there are characters in Vinland Saga who also have very deep connections to nature and right. animals in particular. And that becomes a way to further humanize those characters. Or going back to the, the cats again, right? Yeah, or, you, or dogs or bears. Right, where you have sort of like these yeah. characters encountering yeah. these yeah. forces within themselves or outside of themselves yeah. or if there's like no difference between the two and kind of coming to this realization about who they are, right. I guess. Yeah, so, so that's something that he definitely comes back to in Villain Saga. And I think just generally is more deft at making kind of cohesive characters from yeah. the get-go who are very, it's much clearer who they are and what their character arc needs to be or will be. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, that's my, my major yeah. gripe of her. Like, is, to be honest, you know, when I said rough, that Yukimura is like really good at kind of grappling a masculinity and the complexes that people like fall yeah. into, well, and I think that's not the... to say he's great at the opposite. Like, I think if you wanted to say, oh, he's yeah. great at like writing about women, I don't know if that's true. Although then I'm like not qualified necessarily. Um, he I just has... think it's like specifically that niche of being like someone who is so consumed by this sort of belief in strength or in like. Standing he up, strikes right? me as someone particularly early on who is very fascinated by strong women but feels woefully unqualified to portray them so they so there are always a lot of really interesting female characters in his stories but i he seems to sometimes also shy away from it for the same reason you look at vinland saga by the time you actually get to the really interesting female characters or he gets a chance to weave him back into the story it's so late into the story almost yeah. and I, I get the same sense with planetas as well as that points he kind of shies away from that until he kind of gets the right feel for it and he comes back to it yeah uh and you get a lot more of that i think in the second part of the story as a result i mean i think i can't say for sure because i haven't talked to him but i get the sense like reading his stuff that yukimura is like honest about what his strengths are and about yeah, what he yeah. knows that's you know. and you do see him evolve over the course of this of his series as he kind of figures out how to draw and write people. But I feel like in a way I'm kind of comforted that he is someone who seems to, he kind of knows what he likes drawing and what he likes telling stories about yeah. and kind of knows where his limits are. And when we kind of test those limits over the course of his career, he has an understanding. Like there are things I know and there are things I don't know as much about. And you sort yeah. of see him like always, I don't know. I get the impression there are definitely, you can, probably if you want to do i don't know like a feminist reading in vinland saga i'm sure there are some parts we can say oh hey why so, do you do that but i think going through it right. he seems to have some understanding of like what his lane is or what he knows best i guess 
and versus just kind of letting it all hang out like you recently played the immortal which is a series that also has like a lot of cool female characters in it but i really get the sense that the guy drawing blade of the immortal as talented as he is as an artist is also much more like ah man like look at how much i'm like getting off like seeing this character doing all these cool things i don't I don't get the same impression reading Kimura's comic stage like that, but I don't know. Maybe he is. So what I will say, and this is slight deviation, but it's the one thing that I've been where he feels very well-meaning. And I just am constantly like, I feel like I'm not the right person to maybe comment on this, but also it feels too big to overlook Mm. is in Vinland saga where I forget the character's name, but there is, so you mentioned Thorkel. Eventually, right. we're introduced to a character that looks a lot like Thorkel. I believe is Thorkel's um, offspring or you know child. Yeah, um, and is a femme presenting individual. Okay, it, it, she her, but definitely born male. Yeah, and obviously there were no you know there was no way to you know be trans you know from a medical standpoint in that era but this is a trans character Mm. um and he tries his darndest i think to make that be well-meaning and heartfelt but he still frequently plays it up for jokes and that part is like oh you you are doing so well but then you make it into a joke and it's like it's it's difficult to also he's not the only person like drawing comics for the audience who just totally drops the ball when it comes to that stuff and and i can see where the well-meaning aspects are down to the fact that like someone misgenders her and it's like there's a recognition from the other characters that hey you misgender her don't do that yeah you know but it's still like very clearly that this is a character that looks almost exactly like thorkill has the same build and that muscular build keeps coming back into it a lot Mm -hmm. because and, and and again i get what he's doing from a formal standpoint, but it's so clear that he's not maybe as on the wavelength with that conversation more broadly. And it, it can probably be, prob- yeah. I mean, this isn't the matter. So. We're not out to cancel Makoto Yukimura no, no, or whatever. Yeah. Like in a sense, but we need to like, talk about these things, honestly, yeah. because even where it does trip up, we, we need to talk about that. Right. I mean, I think, um, I don't know. I mean, do we, what do we want to wrap things up in terms of like what, I mean, what's a way to sort of pull everything together here in terms of like where Yukimura is heading? Um, I have a quote for that. Okay. And that is, so this one I, I did, uh, actually I remember who it was. It's uh, Aoi and she, it's her reproaching Hachimaki's obsession with, you know, traveling to Jupiter and, and being right. so narrow minded about that. Um, and also this is in reference to a, um, I believe, uh, an astronaut or cosmonaut that, uh, his body was basically sent out to space and it, the body comes back mm-hmm. and it's a sort of like decision of like, you know, do we leave the body out here? Do we bring it back to earth? Not that it has returned, even though this guy's initial wishes was to be sent out to space. And in that exchange, she says something that I think is so critical, which is, you know, some of us like love and I think that's ultimately that's the fine like really what this all comes back to and it's just you know love your fellow man your fellow mm. human your fellow woman you know love your you know your fellows because that's that's what brings us together and I think it, I think fundamentally that's what drives this pacifism as well it's just this want for love it's this belief that people like to think of themselves as some um, 
just this wheel that's turning and turning and heading toward this goal, right? Yeah. But actually, you're not an object. You're a person. Yeah. And unless you understand that part of yourself and reckon with your humanity, you're not really going to get anywhere. Yeah. You're going to die, like, in a horrible way. Exactly. Right? And, and there's another quote that comes actually Or at back, least suffer, right I guess. If we live alone and we die alone, what's the point of living in the first place? Yeah. I mean, definitely, yeah. if we're talking about... so. It is interesting. My understanding is the planet as anime ends with the beginning of the Jupiter mission. But yeah. the comic ends with this scene where, at least to my understanding, Earth is surrounded by debris, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's like this acknowledgement of distance that exists between people despite their best efforts that almost seems like kind of Evangelion-like, like the AT field, right? Like, ah, yes, despite our best efforts to come together, there will always be something lying between ourselves and other people. But just the importance right. of trying to reach out and understand other people anyway. Well, like, it, you can say in a yeah. way, at least to me, I don't know if this is what Yukimura implied, but to me, I was thinking, well, now that there's all this debris around the Earth, how are they ever going to get back? Like, right. is it going to be that it takes them so long to clean everything up that when the ship returns, they just don't have anywhere to land and they all just die? Or is he understanding well, that's going to... Well, because his crew is still working on cleaning in that final right. sequence. And, and you see him doing that, and he's saying that he wants to get back to essentially rejoin them. And also... To this point, the final line, actually, I don't know why I didn't remark on this when I was reading it. The final line of Planetas is, I learned that I couldn't stop loving people. Mm. So there it is. There you go. It's I have to set you up so you can bring it home. Yeah. This is why Alex um, is here. This is why I need to like lay out. This is why I you're throw the ball and Alex yeah. goes, boom, and the ball <laughs> goes flying off in the space and triggers a Kessler. Yeah, effect. yeah, or something. And actually, there's there is baseball in this too, which I really appreciate. Oh, there, yeah, I suppose so. I'm a baseball fan. I wonder if he's gonna bring baseball in the Vinland Saga. It was in Samurai Champloo, so I feel like if it can be like mm, can back be in there. the days of Samurai, yeah. it can be with Vikings as well. You know, they do every now and again. Like, I mean, this is a truism for his work. He brings in you know silliness and yeah, fun all be stuff, jokes. So you never know. As much as as much as Vinland Saga is you know sometimes painstakingly historically accurate right obviously it operates in a space of fiction <laughs> does leaf say or does uh thor kell say have you ever heard of baseball oh my god he takes a giant i he would... like rips a tree out of the ground and my hit somebody's head with the tree you yeah. know who would really appreciate that joe oh, oh joe yeah. would be so in on that we need to bring joe in on one joe of you and joe have their own podcast right um, we keep we you, keep talking okay. about doing a sports ball one, and we will eventually. True fans will recognize our uh, yeah. Alex's hints toward future podcast content. Yeah. There will the be a baseball pod. At some I'm point. sorry for using the word content. That was rude of me. Yeah. I apologize. No, well, that's fine. Um, yeah. Is that it? Is there? I think I think we reached it. a good end point. We have we have reached a point of uh, it, you know it's all you know, love is all. We've like the Beatles. We have decided that love is all. If you want to read, so if you want to read um, Vinland Saga or Planetes, what do you start with Vinland Saga? Do you think? And then move on to Planetes, or what do you start with Planetes? Since that's rough. Um, I mean, that was my experience, so I would definitely endorse it. I think Vinland Saga is the more sure-footed work. Yeah, but it is also a little longer work. So, and and I will say this. Um, I'm actually in a place right now where I am recommending to a friend to read Planetas because mm. Vinland Saga is too much of a potential endeavor. Right. Um, and I know that they, they uh, read Monster and they like that. So I'm like, eh, read Planetas. That's a, a short read by comparison. You know, it's only like two, four volumes, depending on how you look at I'm it. I'm actually thinking maybe I should check out the Planetas anime because I know that there are folks out there who don't really like it because it is pretty unfaithful to the comic in a lot of yeah. ways. But how much stuff 
is oh, I, made like Planetes anymore, like a 26-episode, one-and-done science fiction yeah. series. I, I definitely want to go back to it now. So we might go down this journey Yeah, together. like that doesn't really happen. Like even for something like uh, the recent Gundam series, Witch from Mercury, they could barely air 12, 12 episodes of that thing in a row. Yeah. So, you and know. this is 26 episodes. It's kind of nice that exists out there. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere. Maybe it's not. Let's look into it. There's I, also I, stuff like, I think yeah. Space Brothers is another series that people seem to like, which I think is like mm-hmm. much easier going than something like Ponentes, maybe, but is also like a more realistic space series. I will say as a general plug, if you have not considered buying a DVD or Blu-ray of your favorite anime, that was the time to start doing that stuff because like all these services are dropping the ball. Oh boy. Yeah. You know, shows are disappearing and stuff. It's, you know, it's so always you, happening, but it's, yeah. it's not great. I was very shocked that Shirabako was no longer. Ah, uh, Shirabako. So, my beloved. I, is this, is this a part of the show where we recommend things? Yeah, it is. It at? is. This was me. not so subtly going in that direction. Yeah. Is there anything you've been reading or playing recently? Oh, Adam, that um, you'd like to plug. Uh, well, that's a good question. I was thinking about what to pick since I have so many options since it's been a little while since we've last recorded. I have one thing that I'm going to save up for the next episode because it's like more to do with a video game kind of. And I want to mm-hmm, sh- mm-hmm. share that for more talking about that's video games. That's a fair point. Yeah. But, um, I think what I'll talk about is a short novel called the forgotten beasts of Eld by Patricia McKillop. It's very short. It's about 200 pages or so. I had always been kind of curious but I just had never bothered to pick it up until I happened to stop by a used bookstore and they had a cheap copy there. So I thought I'd pick it up and read it. Since Patricia McKillop, I think, passed away a couple of years ago. She's like a very acclaimed traditional fantasy author who won a number of awards for The Forgotten Beasts of Eld, also wrote uh, the Riddle Master trilogy or Riddle Master Quartet. I forget which, but it's like a pretty well-liked fantasy series among people who are in the know. Just like one of these authors who is not necessarily a big name now in the same way that someone like a Brandon Sanderson is, but mm-hmm. like among certain folks is like this very well-reviewed, highly acclaimed, beloved fantasy author. So I thought I'd check it out since uh, Forgotten Beasts of Eld is a standalone story. You just read it and it's done in 200 pages and it's pretty neat. It's about a young woman who's a wizard who lives in a marble palace in the mountains and she has inherited these very powerful beasts that were left to her by her father so like a giant lion a dragon a black cat a hawk and several other strange creatures including a talking boar Uh, these are creatures she has like their true name in her pocket so they will do whatever she wants them to do but they also like have kind of familial relationship where despite the fact that she controls them, they also look out for her welfare and she cares a lot about what they're going through. So the story begins with this guy from a neighboring, from a neighboring um, family dropping off a baby of her. Cause he says this baby is uh, related to this powerful King who's extremely paranoid and wants to eliminate any threat to his reign. And if you don't take this baby, the baby's going to be killed. So Mm -hmm. she does end up taking the baby, even though, as she says, she has no real understanding of children or how to take care of them. And over time, the baby grows up. She sort of becomes fond of the child. Mm -hmm. Uh, The guy who dropped the baby off with her, whose name is Corin, sort of comes back and they sort of start up this romantic relationship. And then the father, the king, Dreed, comes And he also wants things from her, including her son, as well as her animals. And so sort of the struggle in the story, right? 
the other main character whose name is Sybil and she has her want she's in the mountain she wants like increasingly more powerful and elusive beasts to control Mm -hmm. Um, she does not want to become involved with these struggles that are happening down on the ground like she doesn't want to get involved in questions of royal succession or to have to like fight one side or the other like when someone comes to her and says uh, this evil king is causing problems like please help me she says i don't care that the king is evil it's none of my business right but over the story what happens is not only does a reader understand that there's like a fair amount of ambiguity in terms of like there are people in the story who do, do terrible things, but they do not terrible. They do not do terrible things because they are fairy tale villains. They do terrible things for reasons like greed, or fear, or like uh, familial revenge, or that kind of thing. Um, and Sybil herself, as she becomes pulled into this world of people, she sort of succumbs to her own drive for revenge. Like when she uh, encounters this person who does something terrible to her she decides that she will use everything and everyone around her to hurt people who hurt her. And the story is sort of about how she comes to understand that being a person means like learning that you cannot simply take care of yourself, but you have to take care of other people too, I guess. Right. Or that you have to be able to let other people in. So in a way, I guess, it kind of ties into this Makoto Yukimura thing where it is about understanding who you are and not just living mm-hmm. on your own. Hmm. Um but I, I think it's pretty neat. There are some kind of stylistic flourishes that are a little tiresome. Like the characters constantly whisper to each other. Right. This is that kind of story. It's always talking about, ah, yes, there's snow white hair blew across their face in the wind. Like there's these sorts of things you expect from epic fantasy that kind of How, fit for uh, the mode. It's like 200 pages? Yeah, it's very short. That's not that long. Yeah, it reminds me if you like stuff by Diana Wynne-Jones mm-hmm. or kind of fantasy authors who tell like these stories that take inspiration from fairy tales but are actually fairly complex like even i would say i would not say that this book is as intense as something like margot lanagan's tender morsels which is bonkers um i would say in terms of like using the bones of fairy tales to tell like a more nuanced story about humanity a forgotten beast of eld is very much playing in that area i mean if anything i would say like i think uh if Miyazaki directed like a forgotten beast of elf movie, it can be really cool. Cause it is like a lot of that. Oh, like female character grappling with her agency as she comes into her own and tries to like figure out what kind of life she wants to lead. It's very much that kind of story in a way that poses many questions to the reader within the short time frame and makes them sort of figure out who they want to be and that kind of thing. So I think it's, it's definitely worth reading despite it's weird genre stuff. Then my turn for a plug um, and I had two things that I really wanted to sort of put out there. Um, the first of which is Black Cloak. And this is a comic from Image Comics written by Kelly Thompson. Uh, you might know or recognize Kelly Thompson from her pretty extensive run on uh, Captain Marvel uh, with Marvel yeah. Comics. And Meredith McLaren. She did um, Hawkeye too, um, yes, Kelly Thompson, yes, right? Yeah. She did a famous Hawkeye run. Yes, yeah. yes. I, uh, I've rather enjoyed her stuff with Marvel. Um, which is why when I saw this uh, book from Image Comics, I was like, oh, this is a no-brainer. Let's pick yeah. it up. McLaren's also pretty cool. Yeah. She's done a bunch of her own stuff, I think, as well, right? Uh, correct. I'm, yeah. I I've, I recognize the name, and I know I've seen some of her work, but I've never picked up anything by her oh, really? yet. Um, I will probably go check out more of her work um, as a result of this. 
Um, I've to be clear, this was just the first issue, which came out back in January. The second issue, I think, just came out. Um, so if you are a trade paperback reader, you might have a little bit of waiting to do still. The first issue was a triple length first issue, similar to we were talking about Monstrous recently and how that had a very luxurious first issue. This right. is that as well. Um, and also, I would say a very similar um, comic so far in some ways in terms of its uh, fairly intricate, I think, plot ambitions relative to a fantasy setting and a lot of royal sort of intrigue and all of those elements. It feels very similar. Um, but to kind of uh, lay out the groundwork of Black Cloak, the Black Cloaks are effectively like a police force of sorts. Right. They're constables probably would be a better comparison. And the lead character uh, is one such uh, constable and she, or detective specifically. And they're called in to investigate a murder. And it turns out that the person who was murdered is not just the uh, prince, the crown prince, I believe, but also her former, you know, partner mm -hmm. uh, or boyfriend or, or you know, betrothed. Um, and at which point you learn that she was exiled from the royal sort of family and royal sort of you know, nobility, if you will. Um, so there's a lot of complexity with her own relationship with that world as she has to also investigate this murder and figure out what has happened. And suffice to say, the first issue ends on quite the cliffhanger, so I'm, I have no idea what, what, where oh, this is boy. going to and go. How many issues? Just one issue is out? There's two issues now. Okay. The second issue just came out, I think, within the past two weeks. Oh, interesting. So it was. we're still very early in on this, but the first issue kind of really grabbed me. Yeah. And, Do we know how long it's supposed me. to go for? I don't know. It 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 does not is not billed as a miniseries. Okay. So presumably this could be another sort of monstrous length, you know, ongoing. I see. Um, yeah. I it depends on how well it sells. You said it's which public is it? Image you image, put it out. Image. And with image, you don't always know. That's exactly like how long right. it's going to go for. And yeah. they don't always advertise it. Like they, they've gotten better about saying, "Okay, this is going to be a five issue miniseries." Or will it continue? We we'll don't see. know. <laughs> it, it, please buy this. We'll find out. Yeah. So all the more important for this plug to be kind of put out there. Mm. Uh, my second plug is also from Image Comics. Um, this one has already come out in trade paperback. It's the Six Sidekicks of Trigger Keaton uh, by Kyle Starks and uh, Chris, Chris Schweizer. Um, I've been a longtime fan of Chris Schweizer's work, um, mm. his own work as a writer-artist. So this one he is just illustrating with um, Kyle Starks' writing. And this one is very much uh, set in sort of a modern day uh, Hollywood. Uh, Trigger Keaton is the sort of, um, I don't know, like uh, kind of very typical 90s action star who, you know, is a karate man. And, I never could have guessed you know, from the back what, that his first you know, name is tr Trigger, Trigger Keaton. I know. Yeah. He's definitely based on a lot of real life sort of actors of that era who are all very much like I mean, a bunch of white dudes doing To be honest, arts. the name Tom Cruise is already pretty for absurd, that, for really. That, for that matter. <laughs> Um, and this is, as the story hints, it's the six sidekicks of Trigger Keaton. And, uh, to begin the story, Trigger Keaton is, well, dies and it looks like suicide, but it might be murder. And mm. his six former sidekicks, um, who are all various child actors who accompanied him in various, or, or adult actors who accompanied him in different movies and we're all, and we're all eventually discarded in very sort of messy fashion and replaced by another psychic in whatever movie or series he was currently cast in. Like there's like Star Trek references and like, like it's a very referential work. I mean, it very much exists in that Hollywood milieu and 
uh, there's a lot of references. I feel like Kyle things. Starks has done sort of similarly tricky stuff in the yes, past, right? Yes. I'm actually, it's kind of funny. I'm going through a bit of a Kyle Starks time frame. I'm picking up two things by him right now. Oh, interesting. They're, they're both, they're both good. I mean, I, I, I'm not as, I've been aware of Kyle Starks, but I've not actually read a, bu- a lot of by Kyle But Starks you wouldn't say the referential stuff is distracting in that way? I think it's 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 so ingrained in the DNA of this particular one that it it has to be there because it's a work about, you know, existing in that world of. of does Hollywood. the art adapt itself for those different genre modes? Uh, Chris Schweizer just does something that's very much Chris Schweizer. It's this is this very sort of um, uh, cartoony, but also has a bit of a watercolor feel to it okay, as well. It's, I, I really like his art. I, I'll be honest; the reason I picked this up primarily. Uh, is because I'm a big fan of Chris Schweizer's cool. work. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that he was, you know, there's something else new with Chris Schweizer. He's kind of on, I felt like on a bit of a hiatus. So the moment I saw this, I was like, I, I got to get that. And do we know how long that one's going to go for? Um, So definitely for at least one more volume. So this first volume collect issues one through six. I hope to God that there is more because it it does not conclude. So right. uh, presumably at least for another six issues. Okay. But as with all things in Western comics, who knows? As who long knows? as sales it's a mystery. Up, so... Um, an image can be pretty finicky about that. That's so, true. Just to say, uh, not everything can be saga, and I definitely can. You know, you know, with image. Oh, don't say that. They might test you. They'll go. Well, now everything is saga. Well, I mean, but in, in terms of success, like it's oh, up to right. the, you know, how do, well does the audience react to it? I mean, they, they've been looking. It's kind of like I feel like uh, image is always in this sort of ongoing. Like, oh, we we had this great success with the Walking Dead. How do we replicate that? Yeah. Oh, we have saga. How do we replicate that? And uh, there's always these bursts of new properties that come out from Image, and well, not all of it is going to be as good. So that's certainly true. When Image uh, stuff hits, it hits really hard. That's certainly true. It is. It is. But it, it's it depends. I mean, it's hard to kind of get that uh, creative success, mm. uh, particularly when you don't have any. I mean, the thing I understand about Image is they don't have as much editorial, you know, pressure or nudging or anything. It's kind of like you bring us the thing. And we'll just put it out there. Uh, and sometimes that can work t- for better or worse. Mm. So Okay. Well, Alex, where can people find you on uh, the internet? What do you say? So I'm still on Twitter, although I do barely anything out there. Twitter's um, still alive somehow, just yeah. barely. Um, at Alex, the L-U-P. Uh, I'm also on Twitch, and I actually, um, it, it is is going to be tomorrow for me. It'll be in the past for you when this goes. Actually, that's not true. This will go out tomorrow somehow. Oh. So this is actually the timing of this because I've been down with colds and, and allergies yeah. is such that this podcast episode will actually go out tomorrow and then that evening I will be streaming Saga on Twitch. So actually, oh. yeah, if if you do catch this tomorrow... You come mean the comic up. Saga? No, no, Brian the, the, the video game. Oh, which saga. video game? Uh, Scarlet Grace. Oh, okay, that should be fun to watch. <laughs> so, yeah, that that could be horrible. I don't know, but I'll be I'll be playing that tomorrow, and I'll be streaming. Have as well. fun with that. A game that's so. mostly really hard battles, yep. actually, yep. but lots of fun opportunities. I, to... I, not the crowd pleasing streamer right here, but that is at Thin Bailey. And, yeah, I mean to be fair, uh, Saga does. 13. I think Saga does have the way that game is designed. There are many moments that will define your playthrough that will not happen to other people like it is a game that's very much designed to send you down these unexpected pathways so that at least i think lends itself towards streaming yeah so if i get one or two viewers out there who are really into saga i'll be they're out there so excited there are real saga heads that exist it's it's true but okay so how about you adam oh um well you can find me on twitter at w-e-n-d-e-g-o that's when you go um i'm on co-host 
under the username pig. I wrote a piece recently as part of this ongoing feature I've been doing called RPG Maker Dungeon, where I write about like indie RPGs made in like a ready-made RPG Maker systems. This one was about a cool game called Pangea's Error by a friend of mine, Straka, who made this part of a community project called The Gardens of Extro. So definitely recommend checking that piece out if you're interested. Um, it, it was pretty interesting kind of playing that game and putting it all together because it's very different from a lot of what's being made now. Um, I also like sort of called out this, well, it's it's all about, you'll you'll understand when you read it, but it's about how I heard some people saying that short RPGs do not exist and are not reasonable, which I think is foolish, and I try to explain why writing that piece. But you'll would understand Chrono if you read it. Would Chrono Trigger be considered a short RPG? Because I would consider it short. By yeah, I mean, that's a discussion like you can certainly have. You know? Yeah. Um, otherwise, I write stuff for Slash Film sometimes. I write stuff for Crunchyroll News sometimes. Keep my eye out for pieces there. There are other things that are brewing. Um, and also, one more thing I should say um, Inoue, who drew Vagabond, is not Toshiki Inoue, who I believe is the, uh, what's it called? Tokusatsu writer. It is, in fact, Takahiro Inoue. So that is my uh-huh. correction right there for you. Uh, these are different Inoues, you see. They're all very important, but one is not the same as the other. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. All right. And with that, thank you for joining us. And good night. You know, I'm really amazed. None of your cats really bothered us this episode, Alex. It, you know, helps me make that's true. Like I'd expect they're like out there just outside. Wait, wait a minute, Alex. Do you hear something? Uh, I see you. Do you do you hear something scratching at the door? Yeah, I have to go for the camera. Yeah, Alex. I, I, I think I, I we, have I, to go. we should. Do, wait, wait. <laughs>